Hey everyone, this is another overtime preview. This episode is about uh, rank and file upsurges that happened in the 70s. It's going to be a multi part series. This is the first one where we talk uh, not only about the, UMW- the UMWA, which is in this particular preview, but also the United Farm Workers. And we kind of go, you know, if, you're, if you want the whole thing, Become a patron at patreon.com slash workstoppage and give us $5 a month and you can have access to this and everything else that is in our catalog of, you know, history episodes and things like that. If you can't afford to do that, uh, jump in the Discord and message us and we would be happy to give you access. Otherwise, solidarity forever. In our next uh, thing that we're going to be covering in this episode, and there's going to be a lot more stories that we're going to cover in our subsequent episodes, we're going to be moving to talk about the United Mine Workers of America. Yeah, the United Mine Workers of America may be one that our listeners might be a little bit more familiar with since their struggles kind of form the the backbone of the the kind of patchwork of labor narrative that I, I think even... Uh, less informed people in the United States are familiar with. So during the 60s, there was a generational shift that was taking place within the ranks of the coal miners in the United Mine Workers of America, or the UMWA, as more and more young miners were entering this profession who were veterans that had fought in America's imperialist war in Vietnam. Uh, It reminds me of an anecdote, I think Murray Bookchin told this, but it's not really important, about where um, a a Maoist student group decided to go down to West Virginia and try to reach out to the miners there. So they decided to, quote, proletarianize themselves. They cut their hair and they put on nice suits. And they got there, and the mine workers were all long-haired dudes who were stoned out of their minds. And (laughs) they just, like, weren't ready for that kind of disconnect. So West Virginia contributed more young men to the war per capita than any other state in the country. And returning home from this hell of war to the hell of the coal mines was not really any of these young men's particular idea of a refuge. So as the 60s continued to roll on, there was a big upsurge in rank-and-file discontent with the leadership of the union under Tony Boyle, which was practicing the same sort of closed-door business unionist negotiating that was dominating most major unions in the U.S. at that time. And by October 1968, over 60,000 miners were taking part in a wildcat strike movement across the coal fields of Appalachia, refusing to accept the business-friendly arrangements in the mines. And when an explosion at a mine in Farmingham, West Virginia, killed 78 miners, 78, the membership launched into action. Workers formed the Black Lung Association, demanding the government provide workers legal protections against the extreme hazards of coal mining. Just a few months later, in February 1969, 45,000 miners walked out on strike. And just a few weeks later, in March, West Virginia passed its first workers' compensation law, specifically covering black lung. And in December, the federal government passed a new Mine Health and Safety Act to cover the entire country. This movement showed the massive latent power the workers had and that the UMWA leadership had been so loath to use. Once again, demonstrating the power of workers acting for themselves, forming you know rank-and-file power even within their union, and also that wildcat strikes and maybe even nominally illegal activities are what get you legal protections in the future with the passings of these acts by the state and the federal government. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, I think this and, and even like the, the story about uh, like the, the California Agricultural Labor Relations Act, 
are such an illustration of really the problem that we still have with most of the leadership of the major unions here. Because, you know, we hear constantly from people like leadership in the AFL-CIO about how important it is to pass the PRO Act. And hey, no doubt, we'd love for the PRO Act to get passed. There's a lot of good stuff in there. It would help workers organize. But it's like, again, you don't say we can't strike. We have to have the PRO Act first. You strike to get the PRO Act. Right. And if they say you can't strike... All the more reason you should strike. Yeah. Because like when they are the harder they tell you you can't strike, the more impactful it means that your labor is and the more dangerous it is to the capitalist system for you to withdraw it. Yeah. What what would it be like? Um strike based on the conditions of the legislation you want, not the legislation you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a funny yes. that's a funny turnaround of that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh so yeah, <laughs> in the midst of all of this uh powerful political struggle, there was a movement within the UMWA for new leadership that was emerging under a guy named Jock Yablonski. Also, world record, greatest worker name I've ever seen, uh, Jock Yablonski. <laughs> so Yablonski yeah. denounced the incumbent leadership for, quote, sitting on their backsides for so long, they've let the fat come up between their ears, and they don't know what the coal miners' problems are anymore. Yeah. Wow. Oh, man. The from <laughs> you you this... can see why his campaign got popular. <laughs> yeah. 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 The quotes from the mine workers in this story are, are awesome. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, unfo- I'm just un- waiting uh, it, for the next one. Well, it's it like, is unfortunate, though, that this particular story is uh, kind of dark. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's hard not to be a part of the reason that there's so much, like, you know, vitriol in these workers' voices when they're seeing unjust things is because a lot of them have been through the horrors of war in the not-too-distant yeah. uh, past. So, yeah, his campaign also, unsurprisingly, denounced the Vietnam War and called for more union involvement in broader political struggles and movements in society, something we talk on this show about being really, really important to the labor movement. Uh, Yablonski narrowly lost that election in December of 1969, but the worst of it followed three weeks later when hitmen who were hired by the incumbent Boyle administration with $20,000 of union funds, dues, murdered Yablonsky, his wife, and his daughter while they slept, which is yeah. just what a betrayal of everything these organizations are supposed to stand for. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely like one of those incidents that is really like really high up there for me on like the list of, of like, I don't know, most shameful actions ever c- committed by a you know member of like a, a U.S. union because like this is just like horrific. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, look, I, like again, this is one of those things. Like, we are gonna be very mad about class collaborationist leadership in unions, but we're not out there calling for the the like those leaders to be assassinated. Like, this is a it's it's a struggle within a workers' organization. Like, this is. This is ridiculous. And plus, I mean, even if you were in some sort of a struggle, like it's like you're just murdering this guy's family in their sleep. Like yeah. it's just it's horrifying. Well, and also, I mean, in a grim and terrible way, it's a reminder of the fact that like workers who are cognizant of like what's really important in a material sense on the shop floor are dangerous to, you mm-hmm. know, institutions of power, whether that be the bosses or some ossified organization that, you know, is led up by people who don't actually practice what they go around, you know, saying they stand for. So, yeah, I mean, these completely shocking murders uh, launched a new insurgent movement within the union, uh, Miners for Democracy, which was formed 
by supporters of Yablonsky at his funeral. Uh, three years later, in December of 1972, they finally evicted the entrenched business unionist leadership after sweeping the union elections. The new slate immediately instituted uh, absolutely vital democratic reforms, which gave locals more autonomy, allowed all workers to vote on new union contracts for the first time, and enlarged the union safety and organizing committees, and critically built alliances with other unions like the UFW and UE. So in response to the victory of the MFD slate, uh, what are the typical bourgeois tactics, especially during this time? Red baiting and race baiting. So funded by the coal operators. Who else? The KKK began heavily recruiting in West Virginia and trying to agitate white miners against black miners. So alongside the John Birch Society and the Heritage Foundation, these white supremacist groups were attempting to break apart the union solidarity and weaken it from within via the use of racism, which is a tried and true tactic for them, uh, especially with uh, America's history, which, and these tactics included an attempt, much like what we see today, to get local school boards to ban books by black and progressive authors. The new UMWA resolutely fought back against these racist attacks and were able to blunt their efforts for at least a time. It's crazy to me how this map's one-to-one with what we see today it's like as much as things change they stay the same yeah Yeah. like when i when i was reading this section and they talk about how as part of the effort to to undermine the umwa to to foment like internal splits that they're literally like the bosses and as well as you know some arms of the state uh but i repeat myself uh, uh like start funding movements yeah they're like we these these books are poisoning our kids in the schools. I'm just like, they can't come up with new tactics. They just use the same ones over and over again. This is like 50 years ago, almost exactly. And it's the same shit they're doing now. Yeah, to a T. And that's, so that's yeah. why it's like, when, when people bring up this, like, we have to ban these books because they're making the kids trans or whatever. Don't, don't give those people a second of your attention being like, Oh, maybe they're just confused. No, (laughs) those people for the most part, I mean, there are the occasional person who just is like, here's a talking point and then starts repeating it. Roping in suckers is a defense mechanism for fascists. Like, yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like it, this, this is a anti-worker like measure every single time, Mm -hmm. which again, to the point that you raised earlier, John, like the, this conception we keep seeing thrown out there that is absolutely at least promoted by the feds that like people on the left need to tail the most reactionary elements of the working class. No backwards, because what, like, how did the UMWA respond to this? Did they say, yeah, you know what? We, we got to stop this critical race theory that's harming our kids. No, they had, they went after the clan. They went after the John Birch society and said, these people are, are against workers unity and they are trying to undermine the union. Absolutely. And that's and I, what we need our unions to do today. And mm-hmm. I think that this also highlights the the notion of like free speech being a farce in the first place because I mean the the pro, the powers of reaction are going to do their best to, you know, squash any sort of progressive and and or, you know, actually like left sort of education sources. And so, I mean, if we're going to stop the right from doing this sort of attack we must repress the right so i mean like maybe that's a different conversation and i'd be happy to have that with people but you know 
free speech is not what it is made out to be. By the way, I real born bad dreams, back up screams in 50s, fear born mad schemes that hit shot like Jiffy. In an instant, get smoked like Winston cigarettes, holes get ripped off like Nicorette. In real life, the real tripe scene might snatch your life like a salt machine. Rifle, dead up, set up like bullfight. Be blooded how we like, couldn't white or in full flight. The unemotional, call me antisocial. On the run, off the gun, death tally commercial. Death Valley is like rehearsal to the streets, to my peeps. GM, MF on the beat, rhymes. It's chosen like the weapons of war. So keep from stepping on my floor or delivery front door. I bring it to y'all motherfuckers, master yours. My disaster cause, hell and gas drawers. The super villain cooler than a million I'll be chillin' still quick to slice squares like Sicilians Don't make me have to hurt the feelings I'll ruin you in the dirt that I'll be doing in my dealings Sending spirits through the ceiling Chrome peeling, dome blown Within the comforts of your own home Grown, big, wheeling and high rolling I hold it lie, keep the style on my eyes swollen Holding and falling pal. Known as massive versatile I like to big them up, monster owl Brother sub rock and black Jew, I crack proof for two more free men to up. I hit the brew up like nobody, nobody knows how knows. extra unseen feels. We're giving crews a brush with death like between meals. Two times a day with brothers as tight like a noose. With more rhymes than you and Dr. Seuss, a motherfucking mother goose. Exorcist, Mrs. Flirter, whoever you hook a herder. Next to malicious murder, track type vicious. Fulfilling the pipe wishes, the missus may be legal. Minus the baby eagle, any given summer's eve, don't breathe. 16 shots, I do believe, and one up the sleeve. Master of the O, who predict your last pause? I told y'all, hell and gas, drawers breaking, glass and plastic jaw, like federal drastic law. Fetter from fighting secret war with them fantastic four. Versus doom with the metal face before it go to state. The whole better settle case, the flow is at pedal pace. Steady like tricycles, beware all suckers, it's froze like icicles. Bag em up. And bagging bitches like nickels, cause I lick them where they tickle. Before I hit the clip though, I'ma spit till I pronounce. More hits than an ounce, no doubt. About to bounce, extra unannounced, I'm out. And I like to give a shout out to the brother Jet Jaguar.